Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 20th episode of Bottled. If you're listening to this episode right now, I cannot thank you enough for being with us throughout the journey. Although there's a long way to go, there's a lot of things to do, but your time, your energy and effort means everything for the podcast and for me right now. So thank you so much for sticking around. Um, This episode, again, is with Eddie. It's an extension of the same episode, um, number 19. But this episode, we get a bit philosophical. We talk about topics such as recidivism or turning prisons into rehabilitation systems, especially in Europe. Then we talk about karma and whether or not it exists. Then we dive into topics such as destiny and faith and religion and why people believe the way they do. And then we dive into discussing about the pillars of a successful nation. And a part of that discussion is also about the universal basic income. So thanks for tuning in one more time and thank you for being with us. Please enjoy. I think we have a, a lot of uh, a room to improve. So, like, you know, let's look at the, the, the idea of recidivism, right? So What's that? Recidivism basically is the idea that you're reoffending a crime that you've done before, Ooh. right? So, say you've committed a crime, like you've stolen something. Yeah. Then you're in jail for six months, you come out of jail, then you steal something else. Then you go to jail again. Right, so oh, the, okay. the punishment mm. hasn't actually addressed the crime. It hasn't prevented you from committing that crime again. Yeah. Now we're having a lot of this in Western societies now, and there's been a new approach. So, say you look at the Nordic countries like Finland, Sweden, they're taking a very novel approach. Novel, being new, right? Mm. And um, you know what they're doing now to address these recidivism rates is to offer a new way, right? And it's more towards rehabilitation than punishment. Mm. So the idea is that if you can provide um, a new way of looking at what you've done wrong, so, you know, instead of being in a jail, right, in these Nordic countries, you're in this amazing facility, you've got a lovely bedroom with a TV and everything. And the idea is that, you know, if you're treated well, you're less likely to recommit that crime. Now, on face value, you would be reasonable as a human being to make this assumption that, the logical assumption that, okay, you're not getting punished, so why can't I just keep recommitting that that crime and then I get to live in this amazing place and I get a TV and everything. The thing is, in reality, in practicality, it doesn't actually work that way. It works the other way. So they've studied recidivism rates in Nordic countries after these new policies have been implemented. What they've found is that they worked significantly better than what our Western, more westernized countries um, kind of do in Australia, the US and all that. Mm. And recidivism rates have reduced by an astonishing 75 to 85%. Mm. Now that's more than three quarters. That's significant. Yeah. Right? And are these, uh, is this only in Nordic countries like Finland? At, at, at this point in time, yes. Do you think it's going to work in other um, 
how do I put this? Culturally, I don't want to use the word rough, but I feel like um, yeah. the Australian culture or the American culture, it's 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 very different to Nordic culture yeah. in terms of education or growing yeah. up. Do you think it's going to work in countries like the US or Australia? I think, I think it's a bit of a hard one because right now the culture is completely different. Mm. So, you know, like I was saying, the natural reaction to that would be like, why would you give a serial rapist or a serial murderer an amazing facility to live in? Like, why are we paying a hard-earned tax money mm. to provide these facilities to them when they don't deserve it? But that shouldn't be your thought. Your thought should be, we need to rehabilitate these people to change their mode of thinking so that they're not recommitting that crime again, yet they can re-enter society again. Mm. Uh, I see where you're coming from, yes. And I feel like that is going to work better if you're not just providing a better facility after committing a crime to a certain individual. Yeah. You're providing education. Correct. So, while the facility is a five-star place as well. Mm. So, th- yeah. So, I forgot to mention that. So, there is training there as well. There are, you know, modules you can do. Yeah. and There are different ways of thinking about life. I feel like and that is a major contributor. So, you can do a degree, a whole degree, like at a university online. You get given a laptop and you can look at anything you want, right? Mm. Um, and, you know, inmates at these facilities have been known to do entire degrees, left jail or rehabilitation, and have led amazing lives. They've had families, they've done really well in their degrees, they've been professors, they've been scientists. And these are all people that have committed horrible crimes. Mm. Now, you tell me, what's better? Would you rather a system where... These horrible people are punished and our hard-earned taxpayer money is, you know, providing meals for them for the rest of their life or a couple of years or up to 10 years, depending on how bad the crime is, rehabilitate them, let them do a degree, let them re-enter society and provide a benefit to it. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're, then we're paying less taxpayer, pun- taxpayer money for these um, inmates. Yeah. And the, and, and the results show... You know, like you don't have to look at me talking about this. You look at the results. Look at the results and say, what are the recidivism rates? They're they're down dramatically. Mm. So we know this works. Yeah. It's just a matter of um, the culture accepting it. So I feel like if we were to implement it here or the US um, or in some parts of Europe, there would be wide scale opposition. Mm. And naturally so. Like like I said, the natural assumption is like. Why should we treat these people so well? Why should we give them the degree, etc.? But that's not the point. It's not. It's not about punishing someone. It's about changing their their Precisely, mind yeah. and making them a better human being, making them a person who doesn't look at the world in the scary, horrible way, but looks at it in a world of opportunity yeah. and thinks that yeah, I've committed a wrong crime. I'm guilty for that, and I'll probably be guilty for that for my whole life. However, I'm doing the best I can to make myself a better person, and I'm trying to contribute towards society in a more meaningful way. Mm. And whether that be through achieving or attaining a degree, yeah. or you know, coming up with a new innovation, or even starting a new company that could change the yeah. world, like we're declining these people opportunities if we're just letting them rot in jail. Mm. See, as soon as education came into picture in this discussion that we're having, it completely changed my mind because education helps. 
Mm. I feel like it mm. is going to be a major factor yeah. in changing a, a person. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a good point, Eddie. The fact that you know, um, instead of punishing anyone, you're sort of rewarding them with certain things, such as um, the opportunity to study in prison or yeah. education. Yeah, and it changes people's lives, you know. Yeah, and look, I agree with Thomas' point. Um, I would say that you know, Nordic countries do tend to have a lot of equality, or more so than other Western countries. Um, and I so so in that situation, I think a lot of their structural issues are kind of solved. Mm. Um, so, which is why they can focus on that rehabilitation. But in other countries, yeah, yeah I think. So, you know, for example, if the unemployment benefit was a bit higher, then people would have a decent living while they're searching yeah. for a job. But if you're living on currently, it's like 40 bucks a day. Mm. So, if you're living on $40 per day um, while you're searching for a job, it doesn't exactly motivate you to do so because no. on $40 a day, you're almost starving and you're searching for, for jobs and you need to be in your best attire and you need to look really well and speak really well. And it can be really a demotivating factor. Yeah. And you're um, heavily stressed as well. Exactly. You're unemployed. How do you pay the next week's rent? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And how do you pay for groceries, uh, bills, etc.? Like forget holidays. Yeah. You know, forget hang out with friends because you can't afford a beer. You can't afford to go out, mm. you know, which is really sad. Um, so I think there is certainly room for improvement for structural issues um, yeah. in countries. I think naughty countries have it pretty well at the moment, but... There's certainly scope for it to be improved across the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, and I sometimes wonder, um, you know, when you're talking about uh, being homeless or being extremely poor, mm. uh, and a lot of times it's not your fault. A lot of times you feel um, like you've done enough good things in life. Yeah. And even then you're unemployed, your um, romance or your love life's not up to par. Yeah. And you sometimes question, what have you done wrong? Mm. And I'm sure we have all been in certain situations when we've questioned ourselves, what have I done wrong? So uh, subconsciously, we're sort of attributing that to karma as well. Mm. And this is a topic that uh, is very um, important and interesting to me, and I'm sure it is for you as well, about karma. Yeah, I feel like we've had a similar discussion before. <laughs> yeah, and I, that's why I wanted to bring that up as well. If you were to firstly define karma for you, mm. just because we need to break this down, yeah. Because you don't believe, um, I'm not. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You don't believe in karma. No, no. For what the definition is right now. For what I think the definition is, yeah. I don't believe in it. Uh, so, what's your definition? So, my definition basically is that, you know, it's quite simple, really. Um, if you do good, good will come to mm. you. If you do bad, bad will come to you. Mm. Um, and I think what flows from that is that natural assumption that, you know, you can have examples around the world where this has occurred. However, I would disagree with that and I would say that there are a lot of bad people in this world who have yet or who have never um, had negative consequences for their bad deeds. Mm. Um, And one common example comes to mind. So, you know, I mean, yeah, that's a good point, um, Tomo. So, Donald Trump, I mean, he's, he's certainly being indicted by the law system right now for a couple of crimes which he couldn't be pursued Mm. for while president because you have what's called um, immunity from all crimes while you are president of the United States. Um, Mm. Now that he isn't, he's being pursued by that. However, 
because of his wealthy situation, he certainly has access to the best lawyers and, and most likely than not, he's going to get out of this quite mm. well. Um, so, and another one that comes to mind is during the um, Nazi empire during World War II, a lot of generals um, hadn't actually been captured and they ran away to South America and they all lived great lives under new identities. Um, they were never punished for their crimes. Mm. And there's evidence of this. I mean, people have written books about it. Um, and, you know, where's the karma in that? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're talking about the next life, like the afterlife, maybe, if that even exists. Yeah. However, it hasn't happened during their normal life. Yeah. And if there is no afterlife, because we don't really know for sure, then is that person really being punished? for their bad deeds. Mm. So, which kind of makes the whole concept of karma obsolete. Yeah. See, um, I feel like there's quite a few things to look um, at that um, argument as well. The first one being Donald Trump or the Nazi commanders or the colonels or the generals who were there. Yeah. They're just, they're just people. The one or two people we're talking about out of billions of people in, uh, on Earth, hmm. and uh, there's a the sample size that we have on the table right now is not enough to calculate whether or not karma exists or not. Yeah. But that's not to say you're wrong because I thought about this after our discussion as well. Yeah. And I uh, did a bit of research and then I thought about my roots and what what karma the word itself means in the language that we speak in Nepali. Yeah. Karma, or in a more traditional way, it's called karma. And karma means work, yeah. the work that you do. Mm. And I looked into it, and I found out that, you know, from what I've read, if you do good work, if you do things that make you happy, mm. If you're a nice person, you're naturally doing things that make you happy, that makes others happy as well, because yeah. you wouldn't do something that makes others unhappy if you are a nice person, Yeah, if that makes sense. Um, and that's that's karma for you, because you've done good for yourself, you're receiving good from others around you, and that naturally makes you a happier person. So I don't completely disagree with what you're saying. Mm. I do. I still believe that karma exists, but I guess I think it depends on the definition you're looking at. Mm. Yeah, no, you would be right to say that. Um, yeah, so based on your definition, if it's if it's doing good work, mm. um, you know, you know, look, if I look at personal examples in my life, I've known a couple of people, like you know, during my work career, who have unfortunately um, committed the act of suicide. And these are people that I've known quite well and they've had great lives and they've been quite well established in their mm-hmm. career and they've had great, great personal lives. Um, and what what does that mean? I suppose the natural question there is, what does that mean for karma? Mm. Like how does karma come into that? Like you're leading a great life and all, all of a sudden you're killing yourself. Mm. Um where does karma go into that? And they've been a great person their whole life and they haven't done anything wrong. And so if you're going by your definition of doing good things mm. and having good come to you, what, how does that come into that? You know, I think that's a natural question to ask. Yeah. But you know, being me I, <laughs> and with my background, I'm kind of a very skeptical person. Yeah. And so 
I, I, I look at, I don't look at everything at face value, but I look at the reasons behind what creates that in the first place. Mm. And so there's always an ulterior motive. There's always a political reason. There's always something there that mm. is a motive for a particular act or behavior that is done in society. Yeah. And so if you generally look at those behaviors and acts, it always leads you to that reason. Yeah. Which is why I look at the world in my lens as I do. And I tend to be, it tends to work for me because mm. generally it's quite right. Yeah. And um, you, you're pragmatic in that way. Um, mm. You just, you feel like everything we do, there is a reason behind it. And we know, we as a human beings know exactly what we're doing. There yeah. is no excuse. Um, I see where you're coming from, but I still feel like, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, precisely. Yeah. It's like do good. For for me right now at this point in time, if I were to define karma, mm. it's like just do good. Yeah, and uh, good may happen to you. I think it provides structure in our lives. So mm. if you're, and I think this is the whole thing about faith and karma and etc. If you're living through a rules based system, mm. you're more likely to act in a good way. Yeah right because you're you know you're saying okay do good good will come to you and so you're more likely to do good right mm. however i would disagree with the notion that those that don't believe in karma or faith or god or whatever i i wouldn't say that they're more likely to be bad people because mm. i know heaps of people that are atheists and are great people yeah. and do great things for society yet they don't believe in karma or don't believe in god now, with my background, I grew up as a Christian Catholic, right? And I got that drummed down into me by both parents. And I kind of realized at about the age of oh, 14, 15 that... Because I used to pray every day, mm. right? And I realized that it did a bit of a thought experiment just to try it out. Yeah. I thought, okay, let's see what happens if I pray or I don't pray. What are the results, right? Mm. So I did an experiment, did it for about a month or so, prayed every day. For something next month didn't pray at all mm. and now the results were roughly the same whether i prayed for something or not the result was the same so whether... scientific. <laughs> i know i was like <laughs> so geeky <laughs> wow. i know right and then i realized <laughs> i noted it down and, and then i observed I, exactly exactly i did a hypothesis and you were 16 well 15 15 16 and i was like <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized that it makes no difference. Whether you pray or you don't pray, it makes no difference to the mm. result. And so I naturally came to the conclusion... Oh, that's your subjective experience. Why should mm. I pray? Yeah. And so I stopped praying. I took off my cross because I used to wear a cross chain all the mm. time with, you know, Jesus Christ and um, took it off. I, I put her away. So I didn't get rid of it. I put her away somewhere for safekeeping. And I still have it to this day, mm. um, but I never wear it. And I just lived my life from there on, mm. you know. And, you know, um, I've had great things happen. I finished my degree. I did a master's, did a thesis, you know. You know, I won all these awards at university and, you know, best international politics student um, in my uni, University mm. of Melbourne. And... Um, you know, did really well, right? Yeah. And, um, and so I attribute that to myself, not to mm. God or anything else. I put in that hard work 
And so I achieved those results myself. Mm. You know what's quite common? A lot of people during tough times, they turn to religion or mm-hmm. turn to like a higher power. Yeah. Mm. What do you think about that, Eddie? Well, the thing is, I, I think it certainly provides an ability for someone to, um, yeah, be prov- having comfort in those mm. times of need. Because when you look at a higher power, it's easy to think, oh, yeah, you know, that there's someone there for me. I have a purpose in life. This is the thing. So it all comes back to purpose, which I want to come back to later on. But um, purpose is basically the reason why we look at faith, right? Mm. Because we want to have some sort of meaning. Because if yeah. there is no meaning in life, why are we here, mm. right? Um, and so, you know, people who believe in faith have a, a trajectory in life. They have a structure and it means that they can go about their life in their normal way and still believe in God. And I feel like that guides them along a path in life. Yeah. You know, whereas those who don't have that faith or belief in karma, people might think they don't have that same um, guidance or trajectory mm. in life. However, I would question that and say, you know, look at myself. Like, mm. I, I've given that up and. I think I've had a pretty good tra- trajectory in life, mm, you know, besides sense. recent events. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I still think you're living by a set of principles, even if you are. like. Of, of course. I think everyone lives by a set of principles, but whether they're informed by faith or otherwise or documentaries mm. or theorists or reading or whatever is a question that is entirely different. I think it all comes back to, it circles back to um, what uh, Tomo mentioned earlier as well. It's like a belief system. Um, I pray because I feel good. I feel like, uh, I feel calm when I think about God. Now, it's not to say I rely heavily on God for the things that that haven't happened yet, but I just feel like I know that I need to do a certain thing. I know I have to do these tasks these tasks to accomplish a certain goal. Mm. But when I pray, I just feel lighter and I feel like I feel calmer. Well, this is the thing. Like, I can tell you now, I've been on both sides. So I've been on that side because I grew up as a Christian Catholic and I mm. and I did feel a bit better like after praying. You feel lighter, right? Yeah. But that's because you're taught to think in that way because mm. your parents tell you, you know, it feels good to pray, you're going to feel this, you're going to feel that. So naturally, you attribute those feelings to what people tell you. Mm. And it's kind of like that placebo effect where if someone tells you to feel a certain way, you will feel it. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's basically the placebo like validation effect. validation as well. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think You need someone all, else's validation. Yeah. And yeah. so now that I'm on the other side of the coin, I know what it's like to be on both sides. And I can tell you from experience that it doesn't matter whether you're on that side or that side you know, it doesn't make a difference whether you pray or not. Like, I get the same experience from going to the gym. Mm. And Tom gets the same experience from running. Like, he gets a euphoric high. Yeah. You know mm. what I mean? Um, and so, you can seek those experiences elsewhere. You don't need to pray. You don't need to believe in karma or mm. whatever. And it just goes back to that idea that, you know, people are starting to realize this. And you have to remember, there are more atheists now than there have ever been. It's a growing segment. Mm. And I wouldn't use the term religion, but I would say atheism is a concept that is growing rapidly because Mm. people are realizing that we don't need religion to dictate our lives or guide us in the right direction. Mm. We can live lives 
in our own way. Definitely. You know I, what I, I mean? I feel like religion and belief in God or a higher power should be very personal. Mm. Not the fact that we can't talk about it. We should talk about these yeah. things. But um, if it's personal, you're keeping it to yourself. Because it's like it's like a method to your madness. Yeah. It's like yeah. you're doing things that makes you calmer and you're yeah. happy mm. while not affecting others. And that's, um, and that's the thing about religion. I don't mind talking about religion, but I mm. don't like when people try to convert someone else yes, into their religion. 100%. That's the worst. Well, yeah, differences it's, in religion have been like a prime catalyst for... Oh, yeah. Well, they have. Look yeah. at the Crusades and, you know, the Constantinople, Battle of Constantinople between the Muslims and the Christians. When was that? Uh, um, 100 years ago, I'd say. It was about thir- 13th, 12th century. Oh, okay. Um, years ago. Yeah. And that that just ignites um, this um, anger in people because tension, as, soon, yeah. as soon as you talk about religion, mm. there's a lot of emotions involved. It's like yeah, politics. I'd, I'd rate religion to be higher in terms of the intensity yeah. of emotions oh, involved. I oh, but yeah. but I think an example of this is we're having this discussion about religion and politics, and I think it's a productive discussion. Mm. Yeah. Like you know, I know that you guys both believe in God. You both both believe in karma religion. I don't. I did. Like, like I said previously, I know yeah. what it's like to be yeah. on that side. I know yeah. what it's like to be on my side. But I respect you guys, and mm. I think you guys yeah. are great friends. Exactly. And like, and that's I'm not going to go. convert you. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't care. Yeah. Like I've made that realization by myself. Individual yeah. differences. Yeah. We're different. Exactly. You should always respect people's views unless they're harming. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. You can think whatever the fuck you want as yeah. long as it doesn't harm the other person. Yeah. That's that's the best way to go. That's right. And like going back to... So I was going to link this up to the meaning of life. And mm-hmm. I was going to say, you know, people who have a faith... I And I, and I know this because I had this. Yeah. And it, I think the idea is nice because mm-hmm. if you die... You're not just dying. You're not just evaporating. You're not just being in the ground. You're not. You're not nothing. But you're yeah. actually going to heaven or hell. Hopefully, heaven, right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's nice to think about. It's like, oh no, you know, I'm not actually dying. I'm, my 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 soul keeps going into the mm. ether, right? Yeah. And so I just keep living. And I think um, it's, it's also comforting too when you experience someone die in your personal life. Yeah. You think, oh well, they're still there, but just in another realm. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. It's a lot more comforting. The idea seems very nice. However, as an atheist, it's very morbid. When I think about it, I, I almost get depressed because it's like yeah. Yeah. you're literally turning into nothing mm-hmm. and you're, there is no soul, there is nothing. What? You're just your personality. You're, just, you're in the ground and worms are going to eat you yeah. over time unless you get cremated, right? But, um, you know, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, like I, I think it's a it's an interesting concept to think about. Like mm. I think it's more rooted in practicality and realism to think about the idea that you will be nothing once you die. Mm. But it's a lot more easy and comforting to think that oh no, you know my soul. Will just You've got an afterlife. Yeah, there's yeah. an afterlife. So what I, about um, those instances where people have spoken about how a relative who was passed has come back to them? Or so, they've seen them again. Do you think that's on, just on them? deathbed? So they've they've proven this. They, they they've proven this. Do you think it, it's like psychological? It's all psychological. So it's based on memories, really. So in, in in times of crisis, you tend to think about that person a lot more. Mm. And so if they've died, and then people report seeing incidents like I saw the ghost of my uncle or whatever, right? It's less so that, more so that you think about them so much that you know you, you might see them. You might look at a. Uh, a figure in the dark at night at 
3 a.m. in the morning, you may be like, oh, that looks like Uncle yeah. Steve or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, but it's actually not. It's just it's just you creating this in your mind. Yeah. And it's been proven through books and stuff. Like, they've done studies on this. And yeah. so Then how come the experience feels so real to those people? Is it just because they really want it to be real? Well, of course. I mean, feelings tie into neurological experiences. I mean, you have to remember feelings like um, and human emotions and simple things like touch, smell, hearing, these are all informed by electrical signals that are running through your body as we speak, Mm. right? Now, these electrical signals are amplified when you're in a heightened emotional state. So naturally, you're going to be in a naturally emotional state when a loved one has died. And so you're going to try and imagine them as being there with Mm. you. You know, and my, that might not be consciously, it's purely unconscious. Yeah. And See, so, which leads to people seeing ghosts and this and that. And that's actually, yeah. I don't See, think that's true, but yeah. It's not the same thing as seeing ghosts, but I remember having my first breakup at the university. Yeah. And it was a. It was it was terrible. I was heartbroken, mm. um, literally heartbroken. And you wrote a song after. <laughs> I should have. Um, what about me? <laughs> it isn't fair. But at the university, every every girl that I saw uh, from the front or from the back at the university, just walking around in public. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I thought about yeah. I, I thought about my ex, every girl that mm, I saw. Yeah. And every girl looked the same. Don't remind <laughs> me, man. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> but you, do you agree? Yeah, yeah. I think 100%. it's the same. It's like you see the person you're thinking about the most in, yes. in every other person. I remember the first couple of weeks, I'd see people all the time be like, oh, that's my ex, that's my ex. And I'd, It happened to me as well. Yeah. yeah. And then they turn around, you're like, oh, no. Yeah. It looks like but them, but it's she actually. It looks not. the same, right? <laughs> but it's it's. It doesn't happen anymore now. I'm yeah. not sure about you, Eddie, but it's very fresh. Rub but. it in. <laughs> it doesn't happen anymore now, but uh, I think, yeah, I think that's what it is. Like, the more you think about a person uh, who you've broken up with or who has passed away, uh, the more you see them what around about, you. Um, like, what about if you see a ghost and it's not related to you? They're just like in a haunted house or something. Well, that could be simply due to watching a haunted movie. Oh. Like, you know, like if you're if you you're more likely to see these incidences when you do watch scary events or someone tells you a scary story. Yeah. Like that's when it generally happens because you're in a heightened state of awareness. So yeah. when you're sleeping or about to go to sleep, every like the window shakes or leaves rattle outside or something. You're like, oh my god, is that someone? What is that? Yeah. You know. But normally you wouldn't take account of that you would just discount that entirely and you'd be like oh whatever just re- leaves rattling when you bring reality into exactly the present. Yeah. yeah yeah but you become very heightened and aware of your senses when mm. you do watch a scary movie or get told a scary movie or whatever yeah it's been yeah. good i think it's been a really good discussion yeah and tom was chimed in as well um always good to have him yeah um and now tom is checking the restaurants where we're going to and the timing as well but before we wrap everything up yeah um, now, because you work um, in a sector that's heavily um, into regulation or policy making, mm. and I've always enjoyed these discussions with you. Yeah. And I have a question um, that, I, that I've always wanted to ask in, Oof, a, no a, a, in a podcast setting. <laughs> what makes a country function better? Mm, that's a that's a tough question, Sahil. Um, look, I would say. It's, it's obviously due to a number of factors, right? I think the first one is accountability, right? You want the people that live in society to be able to trust your government. Yeah. 
And if people don't trust their government, that's when things go sour. That's when there's a high level of crime. That's when people lash out. You know, that's where serious situations occur, like protests, revolutions. I mean, you can look at all the revolutions through history and account that to distrust in government or monarchy and such. Um, that's the first one. I think it's very important to have trust in your government. And if your government is honest with you and is transparent, um, I think that's a good thing. And I think it's a great thing for ensuring that society remains stable and you know, functions a lot better. I think the second thing um, is about equality. You know, I mean, naturally, you're always going to have those high performers. You're always going to have those people in society that are at the upper echelons that are earning a ridiculous amount of money for what they do and are most likely, you know, much more intelligent or, or highly attuned to a certain profession they, you know, complete really well. Mm. Then you have the rest of society, you know, the middle class, which kind of, goes gets by you know does what they you know does what they can you know has a holiday year or whatever has a family has a little bit of savings right trying to get their mm. kids through school just trying to live life right then you have the lower part of society like a lower socioeconomic part like people that are poor homeless um and i think these are the people that we need to focus on mm. because there's an old saying um which goes something like the true indicator of a society is how we look at those that are at the bottom, you know? Mm. Um, and how we treat those at the bottom of society is how we can reflect on ourselves, on ourselves mm. right? Um, because if you're treating those people as, you know, as not, you know, that are issues in society, then you're not really solving the problem. You know, um, I think, you know, right now there needs to be wide scale um, government public support and, and subsidies, homeless shelters. Mm. There needs to be higher unemployment benefits. There needs to be higher allowances for people that study, for people that um, are undertaking degrees and such um, that are improving themselves. I think there needs to be a rental allowance, which is a lot higher. We yeah. do have rental allowance, but it needs to be a lot higher. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of public support is needed to be able to address these inequalities that we have in society right now. Yeah. Um, and, and I certainly admit that we're in a much better position than the rest of the world. Like the rest of the world, probably like half of the world's population, is nowhere near where we are. No. I mean, look at sub-Saharan Africa. It's about mm. a billion people. Then you look at Southeast Asia, two to three billion, right, including Asia yeah. and in, um, China and India, right? Mm. That's half, more than half the world's population is living in utter poverty, right? Mm. I mean, look at, I mean, people say, yeah, there's an emerging middle class in China and India, but it's nothing, right, compared no. to the rest of society. Like in China, it's like, you know, one to 200 million now, what's China population? 1.3, 1.5 billion. Like, yeah. the rest of them are severely poor and they're barely getting by. Like, who yeah. cares if 100 or 200 million? Like, that's not an equal society. And same yeah. thing with India. It's less than that. Like, it's about 100 million that are in the middle class and the rest of them, a billion people, 1.2, are in utter poverty. Mm. They're not doing that well. Or a lot of them in slums, which are not even houses. They're just, like, blocks. And people somehow survive in them 
Yeah. You know, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, the things people do um, when poor. Yeah, exactly. It teaches you a lot. It does, definitely. Yeah. Um, but I think the key thing that I wanted to mention, and I don't, I don't think the site is ready for this yet. But mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think we have a long way to go. But what I subscribe to, or if I were to put a, a social theory onto it, um, the, the most closest one that resembles myself and my and my theories mm. about society would have to be what's commonly referred to as anarcho-syndicalism. And that is? That's which, <laughs> which basically is the idea that um, a hierarchy needs to be... Um, needs to be justified in order for it to exist. Yeah. As like, in the government, the government or the governance needs to be justified. No, it, it refers to all facets of society. So right now we, we have what's called a representative democracy politically. Mm-hmm. So if we mm-hmm. don't like a political, um, the prime minister or like a premier in a state, ter- state or territory, we can dispose of them by going to an election every three or four years yeah. And saying we're going to vote against them, mm. and if enough people don't like that person, he or he or she, then they're replaced, right, by Liberal, um, Labor, Greens, whatever, right. Um, but that only currently exists to the political realm. Now, what we don't have is that part of society which where that's not applied to. So, say you're in a corporate setting. Mm where you're in a workplace, right? And you don't like a particular manager. And a lot of other people don't like those managers. Mm. You know, I mean, there's not much you can do about that, right? You kind of have to go by or you find another job, right? Now, in a truly democratic society, not just politically, but in the workplace and every other facet of life, you would have the power to vote against that person in authority and say, look... I don't think that person is serving the needs of our of our um, corporation or of our government, and so you would be able to band with friends, etc., or colleagues, and you'd be able to vote them out, mm. right? I mean, because people in power need to be challenged. They need to be challenged to realize is their authority justified? Mm. Now, nine times out of ten, that authority is not justified, and I can give you a few. Very, very um, good examples of why it's justified. So now say you have a child, okay? Now you're walking across the road, okay? Now the child naturally, out of curiosity or Mm. wonderment or whatever, you know, starts to cross the road by him or herself unaccompanied. Mm. And you scream out to the child saying, hey, you stop, you know, like, Mm. and you grab the child to prevent the child from getting hit by a potential car. Now, that form of authority, that hierarchical authority, is justified yep. because you're, you're eliminating the risk and you're saving that person's life, right? Mm. But if you're extending that to the workplace or in other facets, facets of society, it's not justified because and you know, a hierarchical figure is only being provided authority because they're at that, they're at that position. Mm. And so the natural assumption is that I'm lower than you, so I need to respect you, I need to do as you say, etc. Um, and in a lot of those cases, I don't think it's justified. And I think we need to extend our democracy extend our democracy to the rest of society, not just to the political domain. Mm. So give people the power to make changes as necessary. 
in all facets of society. Correct, correct. So extending that democratic function yeah. more so than what it currently is. Because yeah. right now, democracy is very limited in mm. its current state. And so not, not just to the ministers or the prime ministers, but to every other um, correct, priority. Correct, yeah. correct. You, you should have the ability to vote for someone you don't like to dispose of them. If they're not providing, if they're not doing a good job and if they're not providing what you want out of them or what you want to see them as, mm. then why should they be there? There are other more qualified people um, that can provide a much better result. Mm. You know what I mean? Is, is that practice prevalent anywhere in the world right now? Prevented uh, or pre- 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 practiced. Uh, yeah, prevented. Participatory democracy, sort of, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. So, Didn't they used to exercise that in ancient Athens? Mm. They had that Athens. That's a good segue, Tomo. So now we go back to ancient Athens in Greece. <laughs> so back then you have, and the correct term back then was direct democracy. Mm. So in, in the modern theology, we call it um, participatory. But basically the same thing. So... Mm. Back then, um, you would have a particular community in Athens and they would vote on a proposal to be implemented in society. Now, all these people would gather and what they would do is they would have um, a piece of like a rock Mm -hmm. and they would put it in a vase which indicates their yes or no against a particular policy proposal. Mm. And then the rocks would be counted right in front of everyone, so there's no chance of corruption, etc. And that would decide where that society would go. Now, that you have to remember, back then it was a different time. So, direct democracy wasn't extended to slaves. Mm. They had no votes. It wasn't extended to women, Mm. right? (laughs) And it wasn't extended to most of society. You basically had to be a wealthy white male landowner. So, you had to own property as well. Only those people could actually vote, Mm. right? Now, I think that's the best example, but certainly it has its limitations as I've just described. Now, if we extend that to modern society, right, um, what you'll find is that um, it's nothing like that. It's more of a representative democracy, so you vote for someone who you think has your best interests at heart, right? And then you think that they're going to represent your interests. Mm. Now, most of the time, they do in some way or another, but a lot of times they don't. And so you don't have that power because the only power you have is to vote for someone to become in power. Yeah. Whatever they do with that power is up to them because you're stuck with them for three or four years until the next election, right? Yeah. Um, but in terms of direct democracy, there's a great example, and it currently exists in Switzerland, right? Now, in Switzerland, if you gather something like 50,000 votes across the country, uh-huh. you can actually have the whole country vote on any policy you want. Oh. Now, one of them... Now, obviously, some of these are a bit ridiculous, mm. but it, it shows you the real power of democracy and where it yeah. can take us in society. Um, one of them was like... You know, removing the beer excise, so the the tax that that's applied oh, to beer, uh-huh. and so you know, beer, beer drinkers basically came together across the country and said, "We don't want to have a tax on beer anymore." Oh, <laughs> because and so they got the whole country to vote <laughs> on not having a beer excise anymore. Yeah. Now, 
Obviously, the country is intelligent enough to reject that proposal, so yeah. it, it, it lost because this is called a referendum, right? And then mm. these referendums didn't pass because you need to have a two-thirds majority, mm. um, and it didn't pass that threshold. Yeah. Um, another one. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But another one, which that's right, great for Tomo. <laughs> um, but another one that comes to pass is um, the uh, UBI, which I'm not sure if you guys have heard of. Universal that. So basic that, income. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So universal basic income, and it's it's basically the idea that um, you know every uh, member in society is provided a, a universal mm-hmm. income for a month, and that would replace any other current income they receive. So yeah. whether they get the pension or unemployment benefit. That would replace that, and regardless of whether you're rich, poor, middle class, you would receive this 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 benefit. Yeah. Um, um, and, and that was voted on in Switzerland. Now, the interesting thing about this, it only just failed. Mm-hmm. Now, could you imagine if that it had passed, Switzerland would have to revolutionise their entire welfare system, yeah. where everyone would have to get paid. I think it was six thousand Swiss kroners by memory mm-hmm. per month. Which is a, a, lo- a lot of money, right? So if the UBI had passed, mm. if you're getting, let's say, 6,000 euros or their yeah. currency every month, mm. can you make additional income on top of that? Of course. You can. So there's no restriction. Got it, yeah. yeah. So basically, it's like um, social welfare just increased. Correct. But to everybody, even those who have a job. Correct. Even those that are wealthy, that are billionaires. Mm. Um, but see, could it work in certain situations such as, you know, we... We as human beings, we we have hobbies, right? And then we go into college, we get education, we get educated, sorry. Yeah. And then we try and achieve things in life, but some fail, some pass, some pass with flying colors, some become yeah. millionaires, and others, they live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Uh, that could, for me, that could potentially work. Let's say, for example, if you're getting $6,000 per month, mm. You've already have you you have your basic needs or fundamental needs Covered. sorted. Yeah. Now you can focus on everything else. Do yeah. you want to do archery? Mm. Go do it. Mm. Do do you want to go do hunting? Yeah. Go do it. Do you want to make a podcast? Do it because yeah. you've already you already have your basic um, basics sorted. Correct. So that they, they they've done experiments like this in the past. Um, I'm, I'm uh, you know and you can Google this, but. <laughs> a good example <laughs> is in um in in Canada in, uh-huh. in a province um called Manitoba, right? Oh, I've been there. They did this social experiment um <laughs> whereby they they applied the universal basic income to that province for about uh, I think it was about a year or so, mm. and they did it. And what they found was quite interesting. It actually it actually confirmed the results that we expected to see. That is which are um, that you're right, people who had all their basic needs covered by the universal basic income, they quit their jobs and they pursued passions they're really excited about. And they did really well. Like Mm. there were some notable examples where someone was a corporate executive at a bank, Mm. made a lot of like, you know, a lot of money, shitload of money, did really well, but they were unhappy. Mm. They quit their job because they had that universal basic income to cover them, right? Now they decided to paint they were always passionate about painting but they thought i would never make enough money to be able to support my family if i just painted yeah now that man continued to paint and he eventually 
um, created this masterpiece and that masterpiece actually became viral mm. around the world and he ended up selling it for millions of dollars. Yeah. Now, from that point on, he's like a famous artist now. Mm. And the thing is, what this shows, this experiment, this social experiment, is that if you are providing the basic resources necessary to live a good life and you're able to pursue your passions that you're excited about or that you were born to do, yeah. you can do that and you can achieve whatever you want. And I think this, uh, these are the indicators of an ideal society to live in. You shouldn't, be ha- you shouldn't have to be forced to you know, live paycheck to paycheck no. or do a job you're not passionate about just because, oh, I get a pretty good income, I'm comfortable, I'm not going to move, I'll do this for my whole life, I'll get a pretty good super, you know. Um, yeah. And I'll just stay here. I'm not going to move, right? But if you're passionate about whatever, artistry or whatever, right, and you're not going to pursue it, right, because you know it's not going to make you a lot of money and you know that in Australia you're going to live on $40 a day if you're mm. unemployed, you're not going to do that, no, right? Because that's this not going to pay my bills. Exactly. Yeah. It's not going to pay your rent, whatever. Um, yeah. It's a very limiting factor in how you approach life. Yeah. And so naturally it means that these life conditions of employment and such are moving us away from an ideal society in which you want to do what you want to do, but you're prevented from doing so because of these social constructs. Yeah. You know, so things like, you know, high incomes tend to be um, disproportionately linked to highly technical specifications. So like, you know, engineers are a lot of money, Mm. doctors that prefer, you know, uh, surgeons and um, lawyers and, you know, people are, 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 you know, are born into society thinking these are the professions I should go into because they yeah. make a lot of money. Yeah. My family will be proud of me, etc., etc. You know, it's why you hear all those immigrants coming in. They say, oh, my father, mother, they want me to become a doctor, a lawyer, whatever. And they become it, but they're unhappy. They don't want to do it, yeah. right? They're just forced into it because their parents say, this is a good income. It will support you. You can have a good life, etc. Yeah. And I don't, I don't discount that entirely, but what I have an issue with is that in a real anarcho-syndicalist society, you would that? you would have um, a situation in which those basic necessities would be entirely covered, and then you would be able to pursue those passions that you're excited mm-hmm. about or drive you Precisely, towards yeah. new heights. You know what I mean? Yeah. When I first heard of the universal basic income, that's what I thought as well. But on the flip side, you're getting money for free basically yeah and you could miss the the money that you're getting could be misused into anything of course that's the flip side but any, everything has a flip side to be honest that's it's, the risk it's how you regulate it that is the risk that has to be taken and yeah. like i said earlier naturally with recidivism naturally people are going to take that at face value and go i'm just going to keep committing the same crime because yeah. i'm going to get this free hotel and i'm going to get a degree and i don't even care yeah but these are the minority of people. Most people want to do better. Most people want to succeed. Most people want to improve upon themselves. Yeah. And so if the majority of the population is driving towards that objective while the minority is kind of just lazing about and bludging, mm. who cares? That's the risk we have to take. Yeah. You know, because you're never going to have an ideal society in which every single body is going to subscribe to those values yeah. or to those objectives. Mm. On know? a larger scale, uh, if you never try, you'll never know. That's true. Yeah. And like I said, as and like, simple as it sounds, yeah. but it, it is so true. And limited trials in like Manitoba, which I've mentioned, yeah. and other ones, which have, I mean, that was a long time ago, but I'm sure recent ones have been done if you just yeah. Google it. But, um, 
you know, mm. they've all worked. And then what they've shown is that this really works. Like, if mm. we can apply this to mainstream society and for a whole country, yeah. I think this will do wonders. It's going to do wonders for me, that's for sure. <laughs> because, because I've never been of the belief that um, I'm here to just work, pay my bills, pay my yeah. rent, and right, then right. go back to work. Uh, sorry, go back to sleep. Mm. I've never been of that belief. It's such a mundane I mean, existence. It is. You know what I mean? It's, it's, so- it's uh, yeah. And, and the majority of the world, even if people don't appreciate, um, oh, sorry, not appreciate, um, what's the word? They don't... Speculate. No. It's when you... And even though people don't admit it, that uh, you know they're not happy with their jobs. Majority of the people are not. Mm. They're not, and uh, it's uh, you, you won't be happy just going to office, filing documents, and doing administrative tasks. For exactly. The um, what makes you happy is you're creating something. Exactly. Hundred percent. Yeah, and maybe ten percent of, um, or maybe one out of ten uh, people in the room, they yeah. may be happy with regular office jobs, mm. but the rest ninety percent. They want, they want, they want yeah. something different. And this, is, this goes back to our discussion. So most people are just doing those jobs just to pay the bills, just to yeah. support the family. They exactly. don't care yeah. that they're not achieving their passions or, yeah. their, or their goals in life. They don't care because mm-hmm. they're like, well, I'll just do this. And but their passion might be like raising a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they might get more enjoyment out of this, the social side of their life as opposed to the professional. It could be. That's entirely true. I mean, that's certainly... An example. Mm. I yeah. mean, you know, I mean, I'm sure like there. Mum, she just is working. Mm. Yeah. So, but <coughs> but, uh, but who's to say why can't you achieve that objective by supporting your family by doing another passion that you love, which mm. achieves that same thing? Yeah, it's really up to the individual. Well, this is the thing. But we have a society in which those options aren't available to us, yeah. which is what I'm saying. So if you had that universal basic income then that would prov- give you the tools necessary to pursue what you wanted to what pursue you love. in life. Exactly. Yeah. What really makes you happy, what sort of fires the you know, ignition in you. Exactly, yeah. And creation, like you're totally right about creation. I think it's a fundamental part of society and what, what, yeah. it's what makes us happy. I think what you do mm. is amazing. Like you're doing this as a side thing with the podcast, right? And I think it's amazing. Like you're taking time out of your life, mm. even though I'm not sure if you're earning money out of this or not, but... If you're not, then I even have more respect for you because it's like, you know, you're doing this, you're taking time out of your life and you're talking to people about whatever mm. and it makes you happy. And I, I see you're passionate about this. You know, this yeah, makes thank you, you happy, right? Well, I should say, you know, I should be thankful that you're giving your time for this, <laughs> <laughs> even though you're not getting paid. And same as you, Tama. <laughs> like, you know you're not getting paid for this, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Getting paid. Nah, man. I, I get paid in beers. <laughs> that's it. That's that's your reward. Check in the, um, check in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but I, one more. I was gonna say one more. <laughs> so, so going back to direct democracy, you know, um, there are fundamental examples where it's worked really well. And then you look at in Brazil. There's a small, um, I think it's Sao Paulo. Or it's a very small area. And they were very poor, mm. right? Now, they banded together to create this direct democ- um, democracy um, operative, right? Mm. And they actually voted on things together, right? Mm. And they voted to create a sewage system, which ne- they never had before. What no sewage Sewage system. Mm. So, they had no infrastructure mm. um, for all their, you know, toiletries yeah. to go, like pipes, nothing. They voted on that to create that together, right? Mm. 
Now, in a, in a traditional government-run setting, that wouldn't have happened in Brazil anyway, maybe here, but not in Brazil. Um, and they banned, it to, they banned it to create an educational system that is purely funded by taxes, so nobody has to pay anything, just through their taxes, right? Yeah. They banned it together to create a whole medical system, right, of their own, which wasn't funded by the government. It was funded by their own taxes. Mm. Let's go to another country, Israel, the kibbutz, right? So they had a form of direct democracy, which is kind of similar to what I'm talking about, anarcho-syndicalism, whereby they banded together and they created similar situations like mm. worker-run societies in which everything was democratically run. There was no hierarchy. Everything was voted on. Everything was done really well. So I think there is evidence of direct democracies or participatory d democracies working really well in societies. And I think certainly this can be extended to the rest of society um, mm. if the chance is provided. Because I think people naturally are more politically um, attuned and more politically minded than, than what they give off to be. Like going back to our initial discussion at the start, we're talking mm. about nobody wants to talk about religion or politics, right? Mm. They stay off it. Everyone thinks about it. Right? But mm. everyone thinks about it. Everyone yeah. has a position on it. Everyone has a thought about it. Yeah. Now, if we extend this in society where we have the option of actually voting and putting our minds on it through direct democracy, like something like the referendums that exist in Switzerland, if we extended that in society, that would make us even more politically minded, more politically tuned because we can actually come together, get 50,000 signatures or 100 or whatever, yeah. and we can get the whole country to vote on it. If we think we can make that society so much better and more effectively run, mm. you know what I mean? We don't have that option now. I feel like that sort of system is easier to install or start in a smaller country. In De terms of the population. Definitely, well. definitely. Yeah. I agree with you. In, like, in a more complex system like China or the US or India, yeah. it's going to be extremely hard now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you could do it on a prov provincial scale. So, you know, you could just do it by provinces. So, mm. province, like I said, with the Sao Paulo in Brazil, they voted yeah. for medical sewage. It wasn't a national thing. They did it, you know, at yeah. a small scale. But, you know, I mean... I don't think people need to come together. They could just vote on their mobile. Mm. So in Finland, you can actually vote. I think it's Finland or Norway. You can actually, or Estonia, I think it is. Um, you can actually vote on your mobile. So you don't, oh. need, you don't need to even attend a, a function. Yeah. You can just vote on your mobile. So it means that you can be, while you're scrolling through Facebook or whatever, you can still vote on a proposal. Mm. You know, if you can scroll on Facebook, you can vote it for a proposal. Yeah. That's what I think. I think the basic idea of that is the people own the country. Exactly. If you're a citizen of a certain country, you yeah. have the rights. And you have the rights um, to propose a new law. Yeah. Maybe not execute it because it has to go through all these procedures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But at least have a say. But this is the thing. Like, you know, we, we always subscribe to the notion that, you know, there are experts and they know better mm -hmm. than us and they can do this and they can do that. Well, who's to say we're not the experts? Yeah. Like, we all have views on something. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and that's the thing. Like, you know, you know, like you were saying, everyone's an expert in their own life. And, like, you know, we all have a view to mm -hmm. contribute. And if that view is included in overall society and negotiations and, and discussions... And, and like you were saying to me before, as part of your agenda that you sent through to me initially, like mm. conversations can be the start of something amazing. Yeah. Like it can change society. And the fact that we're even having this, who knows where this could lead to? Precisely. Like yeah. I could lead a political party or you, or it could uh, lead yeah, to like yeah, a yeah, protest. Yeah. It could lead to a uh, social change. It could. Mm. These are how 
social revolutionaries are actually made. Mm-hmm. Like you go back to Martin Luther King. This is how it happened. He actually used to run um, halls where, not podcasts because they didn't have them back then, <laughs> but halls where people would come and just have discussions about yeah. whatever, not about civil rights movements or yeah. giving rights to, to you know black people. Mm. It was just having a discussion. How's your day going? Mm. How's your weekend going? And then it naturally evolved. Because people talked. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I strongly believe in. Yeah. People have always talked. Exactly. And talking to one another, sharing ideas and yep. starting a simple conversation could lead to so many incredible things. Exactly. And these are how um, ignitions are started. This is how everything is done in society. It yeah. all starts somewhere. Like you were saying, it all mm. starts from an insignificant point in a bedroom. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, exactly, yeah. You know, where we're running the podcast and, you know... It, who knows where it could lead to? Precisely. And, and it's crazy to think it's just three guys just chilling, having a conversation. Yeah. And it's been it's been fun, but it's been so messy and there's been so many ideas. Yeah. And there's been so many debates. And well, I feel like these discussions could go on forever. Like, I know. you know, we both and you know, including Tomo as well, from yeah. time to time. You know, <laughs> just like, chimes in from the background. <laughs> has certainly we all have Let a lot of <laughs> a lot of um, a lot of value and mm. a lot of intrinsic value to add to the discussion, yeah. and I, and I stuff. think and I think this plays a very important part in society and politics in general. Mm. Politics is the personal. That's an old saying, mm. right? and the personal is the political. Ooh. You know what I mean? And mm. this is the thing. Like even if we stay away from, you know, the idea of um, mainstream politics, like, you know, you, what you hear about on the news and et cetera, mm. even us talking about the drama in our everyday life, that's political. So we are naturally political animals. Why can't we talk about other stuff instead of yeah. just, like, drama? You know what I mean? Like, I think Have everyone's attuned for it. Yeah. yeah. It's just a matter of extending those opportunities through referendums like Switzerland or yeah. changing the way we operate through direct democracies. Mm. I think this is the future, and I strongly believe in the idea of incrementalism. So the idea that things do get better over time. Mm. I mean, you look at 100 years ago, very interesting times, right? 100 years ago, let's look at women's rights, okay? Mm. Women were considered to be the property of their father. Now, once they got married, that legal, this is legal, right? And a lot of society, they still are. Yeah, that's, that's right. And like legally, back then... All that would happen is that the transfer of ownership of that woman would be transferred from the father to the husband. Mm. Now, the husband owns the wife. Now, look at back then. That's, this is only 100 years ago. And we've... That's humans, one generation. Yeah. Human civilizations have existed for, you know, millions of years. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and it's only 100 years ago where we've made this rapid progress where they're dominating society now. And I see it in my own workplace. You know what I mean? Like mm. women are at very high levels, highly well respected. You know what I mean? They they yeah. run and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I think that's a great thing. Yeah. I think it's about time it happens, to mm. be honest. What about like and, Tutankhamen? What about Tutankhamen? She was a female leader. There's, yeah. There has been female leaders. There has, the but back age. then it was a minority. What I'm saying is now it's a lot more common. Yeah. It's significantly more and common. And and women have the you know, the ability to do whatever they want. They can yeah. vote, they can do this, they can do that, you know. And I think it comes back to what you said about the second point in as the pillar of a functional society, equality. Mm. That comes to that as well. Like yeah. everyone getting a fair chance. Exactly. That's right. And yeah. like like I said, I, 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 I highly believe in the theory of incrementalism. Mm. Like people might complain, things could be better, things could improve. 
Yeah. Right? And you're always going to have people that complain. However, things do get better over it over time mm. like look at where we are right now we have complete freedom you have the freedom to make the podcast you can say whatever you want you can swear you can yeah. you can say whatever you want about government you can say whatever you want you're not going to get penalized you're not going to get put in jail mm. you have the absolute freedom to do whatever you want now go back 100 years ago or even 50 years ago you didn't have that option you would be yeah. put in jail Some countries you can't and a lot yeah. of countries still today, in certain societies, yeah. you still can't, like China no. and a lot of other countries, yeah. you can't do that. No. Yeah. And so we're very lucky. The fact that society has progressed to a stage where we have these amazing freedoms mm. and it's only going to get better over time. There is a natural sort of regression. So, you know, for example, when Trump came into power, mm. there's a regression. And then a lot of the social progress went backwards. Mm. And then when Biden came back into power, there is social progress again. So while there might be regression, there's always going to be more progress. Yeah. And it's just a matter of time until society gets better and better and better. Mm. We know that our incomes are rising, at least in Western societies. You know, mm. there's a larger middle class. And, the, 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 you know, the poor population is like 10%. Like 90% are still middle class. The 10% are very wealthy. Mm. So the fact that we've even achieved that is a significant achievement in itself. Most yeah. of societies were very well off. But that's a, that's the problem again, like linking back to <laughs> what we initially discussed. We're doing so well for ourselves, but yeah. then we're not taking care of the planet we're in. Well, this is the thing. Yeah. This is this is the existential crisis that we come into, <laughs> <Yeah>. whereby <laughs> you know there's this theory where we think about ourselves and yeah. where we are and what our place is in the world or in the mm. universe, right? However. We're very selfish in that way because we don't think about future generations. Yeah. So the thing with climate change, like we were talking about earlier, an issue that urgently needs to be addressed worldwide if we are to avoid these natural disasters yeah. um, because, you know, people are selfish in that way. They're mm. not thinking about the future. They're thinking about yeah. the now. And so it's natural for humans to think, who cares because I'm only going to live for another 20, 40, 50, 60 years, yeah. and then I'm dead. Let the next, next generation find a solution. And this is our issue, because climate change takes many generations. We can see the effects of climate change as we speak. However, it's very slow. But the natural conundrum there is that if we don't act now, we're going to be experiencing a whole host of natural disasters into the future, hmm. which is not too far away. But the fact that people are naturally selfish, only look out for themselves, they don't care. So, you know, the uber wealthy, the uber rich, yeah. you know, they're like, whatever, I'm a billionaire, I don't care, I'll put in 20 million for natural tree change, planting a tree or whatever, right? Which mm. means nothing, right? Yeah. It's just lip service. It's pocket change. Yeah, pocket change. It doesn't actually make a change in society. Mm. And so, you know, this is the issue with humans, is that we look at an issue that affects us now. Mm. or affects us in the short term. But long term, as a human species, we're horrible at looking yeah. at long term. We know it's going to happen in a few generations and it's going to be bloody horrible for that generation, but it's not going to affect us now. And so this is why we have an issue with climate change, why we're not taking action necessary because most people, you do a poll on the street, they say, yeah, I care about climate change. Okay, what are you doing for climate change? Putting a plastic on your head. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Checking that out. Yeah. Literally. So like you're not doing much. You might be recycling or putting stuff in the bin, but who actually actually does something yeah. substantial? You don't do mm. anything, right? Mm. And so naturally people aren't attuned to that. 
But I think we need to act now. Mm. And I think this is the time where major social change is going to happen. Yeah. Um, if we apply the necessary pressure yeah. to governments and to ourselves to, to actually work out a solution forward and, and, and change society for the better, not just for our generation, but for future generations yeah. as well. And, and, I, I, and I think that's a, you know, it might be a sober note to leave it on, but yeah. I think that that is like the pertinence Mm. of this of this discussion yeah. I, I think this is where what all our resources should be going towards mm. you know because yeah. without a future society you can forget about equality you can forget about everything else yeah like if we're not creating the right conditions to allow that next society to flourish who cares about the rest mm. you know i had a friend just to add it on i had a friend who doesn't um she doesn't believe in having babies or a family. Uh, yeah. She doesn't want to get married. She doesn't have a ba- want to have a baby. Yeah. Uh, but she really cares about the environment. Yeah. And um, she's um, made her own toothpaste. She's made her own detergent. Yeah. Made her own soap. Yeah. Uh, she carries one bag all the time to the shopping center wow, for yeah. years now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but she doesn't believe in having a family. Yeah. And that was very interesting to me because you're sort of protecting Earth, protecting the environment. Yeah. By not being so selfish. No, exactly. You're not doing it for your child because you don't want to have a child. Mm. You don't have a child. You're doing it for the entire human race. That's right. I mean, the world is over overpopulated as it is. And, yeah. I, and I think her worldview would be, if I'm introducing a new child into society, you know, they're going to be contributing towards plastic pollution and, and all this. That's exactly you it. Know, driving a car and you yeah. know, emitting um, air pollution, this and that. If I don't have that child, that's a whole lifetime of pollution that I won't yeah. be contributing towards. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's very, you know, I think good on her, first of all. And I think for most people, that would be very hard to do. But I think it's rare people like that whereby, mm. you know, those actions, if multiplied by many millions of people or billions of people, actions like that can change Even 10%. The world. Even 10%. E- even one out of 10 people yeah. if they apply those sort of actions. Exactly. Because yeah. what we're doing now is really lip service. And when mm. I say lip service, I just mean actions that are not really going to change anything. Just putting a little bit of money here and yeah. there and just saying, look, I'm doing something about climate change yeah. that's really not doing anything about yeah. climate change. Because at the back of your head, you're like, you know, I'm going to be okay today. Exactly. I'm going to be okay for the next 25 years. Exactly. And that's this, okay. This yeah. is where it goes back to the selfish discussion. Yeah. We're just... Humans are naturally selfish. Yeah. And this is where the problem lies. If we can think about a generation more than ourselves, this is where society is going to change. Mm. And this is where we need to put our focus towards. Wise words. I think this is the... Uh, I don't think... It is the um, the longest podcast I've had in all of 19 episodes. But it's been incredibly fun, man. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you so much, Sahil. It's been a pleasure to be on your podcast. And I really value your um, your interviewing skills. And I, <laughs> and I value the discussion that we've had. And I, and I feel like, you know, I've got this good connection with you. And I feel like, to be honest, I feel like we could have like 50 of these. And we would 100%. never we would never end it. Yeah. You and know what I like mean? I said to Tom last week as well, it's not the end. It's the beginning. It's the beginning. That's right. And yeah. um, special mention to uh, Tomo, the, uh, who's been farting and burping the entire podcast. Oh, my God. <laughs> Especially the last 30 minutes. If you... So uh, kudos to him. And he's also had a little nap. So, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um, thank you, Eddie, for doing this. And it's, it's been incredibly fun. Yeah, thanks and, for having me. Sir. And we'll do it again. Um, I certainly look forward to it. 100%, man. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. If you've uh, listened to... Um, 
podcast for three hours. You really love us. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible if you're still listening. Uh, but thank you so much. That was episode number 19. Um, it could possibly be split into two episodes. So it could be 19 <laughs> or 20. Uh, but thank you so much for listening. That's in bottled. Um, and we're signing off. Off to a restaurant for a nice dinner. All right then. Bye bye. Awesome. Good job. All right, brother. That was awesome. Ha <laughs> ha.